Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, this is John Sadak, TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds, and you're up for late night Reds. Hello, everybody. My name is Tim Daniel. Welcome to Late Night Reds Talk Live, the live show and podcast that loves the Cincinnati Reds, part of the Believe Podcast Network, and is always presented by Bet Online. Our show is live streamed on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and the podcast version is always up the next morning. I am joined tonight by Nick Kirby, Carlos Guevara, and our special guest, the Daytona Tortugas play-by-play announcer, Justin Rock. If you're watching tonight on YouTube, please take two seconds to hit the like and subscribe button to our channel. It really helps us continue to grow. Before we get started, let's have Nick tell you about our partner, Bet Online, who has the 0 2 Cincinnati Bengals as a four and a half point favorite Sunday against the New York Jets. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information. From live in-game betting props and futures. Head to bet online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code Believe50, that is B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online is where the game starts. Perfect. So, Justin, first off, thank you for taking some time to hang out with us tonight. Um, obviously, uh, really cool to have us. We last week we did the Dayton Dragons, so kind of going through this minor league system here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your tenure, how long you've been with the Tortugas, uh, what all you do for the team, etc., and uh, how what other sports you do play by play with. Uh, so this was my third season, uh, I guess technically my fourth year with the Daytona Tortugas. Uh, my first year was with them in uh, the 2019 campaign, so that was uh, here we had uh, Jonathan India, Alejo Lopez. Uh, then he was known as Jose Garcia, but then Jose Barrero in the infield. But this is my, uh, I guess, uh, fourth season in the organization. My first year uh, was with the Greenville Reds. So right after India got drafted, was very excited to see uh, one of my buddies from that season, Michael Ciani, got called up today from AAA Louisville. It was awesome to see. Um, so I've been in the organization for the last number of years uh, between uh, rookie ball and uh, now two different levels of single A in Daytona. But I uh, also work in the offseason. Uh, up in my uh, native New York, New Jersey area as the women's basketball boys uh, for Army West Point and uh, other various sports there. But uh, I do play-by-play, media relations, uh, and like everyone else in minor league baseball, every other uh, possible duty as a, as assigned uh, as a part of, uh, you know, making sure the ship runs smoothly in Daytona Beach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so obviously being part of the Tortugas, it's still a fairly new uh, organization for the Reds. Uh, they've been around for just a little bit now, just a few years, like you mentioned. Uh, but tell us a little bit about you know life in Daytona. Um, obviously, you know Jackie Robinson Stadium is uh, something where we have it's very popular for the Reds to play in. Um, and you know we had some rehab starts this year, including guys like Jacob Degrom who made a stop down there before he came back to the Mets. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it's what the Tortugas organization is like, what the system's all about, and how uh, you know. What what what's what fans who haven't been there like myself could expect from uh, if we attended the game? Well, you can clearly see from uh, the great photos you've got there 
um, of the incredible view that I get uh, every time we're at home uh, from our press box high atop Jackie Robinson Ballpark. It is the oldest uh, ballpark in constant use in minor league baseball. It is the fourth oldest in the United States behind Rickwood Field in Alabama, where they occasionally hold the Rickwood Classic. Uh, hosted by the Birmingham Barons in the Southern League, same league as the Chattanooga Lookouts. Um, so uh, Rickwood is there. Then, of course, there's Fenway Park, and uh, it was then known as City Island Ballpark. You got it right there. It was opened up uh, two months after Wrigley Field in 1914. The first minor league season there was in 1920. Uh, so we're into our second century of minor league baseball uh, right there on that man-made island, City Island. Uh, the ballpark was rededicated to Jackie Robinson back in 1990. Uh, minor league baseball returned to Daytona Beach in 1993. In 1990, it was rededicated to Jackie Robinson because his first spring training after signing with the Dodgers was actually in Daytona Beach. And his first at bat as a member of the Dodgers organization was, you know, maybe an inch or two away from where uh, guys like India and Tyler Stevenson and, and so many other uh, now Reds players. Uh, stood in the box in, in 1946 when they were supposed to have spring training in Sanford, Florida, and moved down to Daytona Beach because of the Jim Crow laws in the South at the time. They knew Daytona Beach was uh, a little more, uh, you know, lax in terms of some of those rules and being more accepting. And uh, Branch Rickey knew about that because the Cardinals, when he worked for them, had a uh, minor league team there. So six years before Jackie Robinson played there, Stan Musial was uh, – a two-way player for the Daytona Beach Islanders. So there's been a lot of history there. Uh, we do an amazing job. I think uh, our staff has done an amazing job of preserving that history. We're continuing to try and build up and uh, improve our player development complexes to, to move into the next uh, century of baseball there. Um, but uh, it's an amazingly historic place. It's an awesome place to catch a ball game. Uh, there's not a bad seat in the house, and uh, I'm very lucky that uh, our perch is what it is because you're right on top of home plate. So when Jacob deGrom made uh, his rehab start there. You're basically, you know, felt like you were right on top of home plate as he was making his pitches, which was uh, an insane thing to be able to do as a, as a minor league broadcaster. Yeah, Justin, thanks so much for joining us. When I was uh, looking up some pictures for this, uh, I was like, oh man, I got to get down to a game. That is, a, that is spectacular. Uh, we got a bunch of players we want to ask you about, but first, can you tell us a little bit about the Florida State League and uh, some of the caveats that I've been told you have to uh, take w in terms of statistics because it's a very pitcher-friendly league. Is that correct? Yes, it is a very pitcher-friendly league. The one thing you have to keep in mind, especially nowadays, this is the only ballpark where the Tortugas play at Jackie Robinson Ballpark that is not a spring training site. So uh, there are some interesting caveats between – uh, home games for Daytona and home games for everybody else. So basically when Daytona plays on the road, uh, one of the new things they've implemented in the Florida State League the last uh, two years has been the ABS system, the automated ball strike system. Last year was just the automated zone. This year they mixed in the automated zone in this new challenge system, which I think is probably going to be the more likely of the two that makes its way to the major leagues. Uh, so there's that. The ballparks are obviously a little bit bigger because they're in many cases, the same dimensions as their parent ballparks. It's the same case for St. Lucie. Um, I know Tampa is very much like Yankee Stadium. Same thing for Bradenton and Clearwater uh, and their ballparks. So they're very cavernous. Um, depending on where you are, a lot of places, uh, at least the ballparks, are tended to be away a little more inland uh, from the water so that you don't get that sort of ocean breeze that um, – 
maybe you get a little bit more at the jack than some other places uh, that carries the ball out. So it tends to be a very pitcher-friendly league, and there's been a lot of different uh, rules, as I mentioned, with the, the ABS challenge system in place this year. Um, the pie slice rule that was in place from July 22nd on after the All-Star break um, behind second base, which was the big new shift rule that was in no other league but the FSL this year. Um, so there have been a lot of different uh, rule changes and rule uh, you know, tinkerings in the FSL the last two years, which have added into uh, all the different uh, ballpark factors uh, that impact the stats as well. Yeah, I feel like the Florida State League was probably the easiest place for me to pitch. Like the stress level, because I knew if I was behind 3-1, I'm probably going to be okay. Even if I'm at the middle of the lineup, like I'm going to throw a fastball on just the outer third or the inner third and hit it in the gap and see how far it goes. I've got athletes out there that are probably going to go track it down. And unless you absolutely crush it, it's not going to leave the stadium. So, you know, you kind of get, you kind of get caught in a trap like that too. Cause I didn't put up my best numbers there. Like my best strikeout numbers weren't there, but it was kind of probably because of that, that I knew that I could always fall back on that. I didn't always have to get a strikeout. So I don't know. That's just my two cents about it. Can so we jump to the, Jump to this question here real quick. Uh, yeah, go ahead. While we're on it uh, from Carrick. Uh, how did you like the the pie slice rule? Did you seem to make a difference? So for those who don't know what the pie slice rule was, starting July 22nd uh, came out really the week before it became announced. We were in Tampa when the Jason Stark article came out. And what it was was they put two painted lines from the back point of second base to the lip of the outfield grass. And no infielder could be inside that white chalk line uh, before the pitch is thrown. So if it was, if an infielder was inside that line, uh, the team at the plate would get one of three choices, either the result of the play, if the ball was put in play, the result of the pitch, if it was a ball or something that they deemed uh, advantageous, or if the first two didn't apply, you can have an automatic ball. Uh, I saw it called once in the last two months or so of the season uh, against an opposing team. And you really didn't even know what happened. You, the only reason I knew it was called is because the shortstop and the base umpire were sort of talking back and forth about it. And, you know, you could tell because it was a start of an at-bat and all of a sudden you're like, it's 1-0, no pitch has been thrown. You know, the, there was no clock violation um, motion <laughs> by the umpires. Um, so that's how you knew it would happen. Um, I really didn't think there was a ton of an impact uh, during the course of the final two months of the season. Um, partially, I think, because Daytona's middle infielders, uh, Eddie Arroyo, um, and you also had Johnny Escanio, Trey Faltini, the last couple of months of the season were amazing at making plays uh, to the left or to their right to take away base hits up the middle. You know, I, I thought the impact was very minimal in what they wanted to create, which is more base hits through the box, back up the middle. Um, I didn't think it, it impacted that creation a whole lot, um, or at least as much as they would have liked it to. Nice. That was a pretty good little uh, segue, because I did want to talk to you about uh, Edwin Arroyo. I know he wasn't there that long, but uh, what can you tell us about him? First of all, I guess it's Eddie. Is that what he goes by? It, no, no it, it's Edwin Arroyo. Um, he's okay. got family members okay. that also go by Eddie. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of Edwin Arroyos. Uh, in the family, that is for sure. But, uh, you know, Edwin's an incredible, incredible athlete. Um, some of the defensive plays, he makes everything look so easy uh, up the middle to his left, to his right, uh, going back, coming in. Um, sometimes it can almost be too easy for him. He got off to a slow start 
in Daytona after the trade, which, you know, talk about a major difference. You mentioned, you know, the park factors and how the Florida State League tends to be a more pitcher-friendly league coming over from the California League, which is known as probably the most hitter-friendly uh, minor league in all of, you know, the minor league circuits. So uh, once he finally got himself acclimated the last two, three weeks of the season, uh, he was really fantastic. The batting average uh, perked back up. He had a couple of multi-triple games. Uh, picking up extra base hits in the gap. If you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. Um, not, you know, somewhere along the lines uh, of what I saw with Ellie De La Cruz in that sense, where, you know, if you give him an inch, he's going to, he's going to take it on you. And he, he did a phenomenal job of that. So he's a, he's a fantastic athlete. I'm really curious to see where uh, they'll place him to start next season, whether it'll be back in Daytona or, or up to high A Dayton, when you consider uh, the overall, uh, accumulation of his numbers this season. I think that's the more likely of the two to happen. Um, but he was a fantastic athlete uh, and just has incredible, incredible raw skills. And, you know, it's just a matter of honing it all together. You know, there's obviously some um, ups and downs in his offensive game, some hitches in the, here and there. But overall, he was a fantastic player. And I'm really curious uh, and excited to see what the future holds for him. Not to mention he's a switch hitter. Uh, he's also a switch thrower as well. He's ambidextrous. That's interesting. I did not know that. Um, yeah, he, he, was, he was a high school shortstop, and when he wasn't playing shortstop, he was a left-handed pitcher. And it's it's tough, man, going over in the middle of the season to a brand-new organization. You know nobody. You're super young. I mean, just, just imagine being in college and all of a sudden going to a different college across the country and asked to be put right in the middle of classes in the middle of a dorm room. Like, uh, what's going on? Hi. How are you like, and you're supposed to perform at your absolute best again. That's tough. Yeah. And it, to do that in the middle of the season being traded, um, that's something I tried to keep our fans, you know, to keep in context, you know, when the numbers weren't quite as sparkling as they were uh, during the first, you know, couple months of the season in Modesto, that's a big change. And I think one of the things that's going to help Edwin and one of the cool things that'll be, uh, to follow as he climbs up the system is it seems that he, Chase Petty, and Jay Allen the second all became pretty friendly uh, through you know amateur ball coming up uh, during their junior maybe a senior years of high school and after the trade happened both uh, Jay and Chase had posts very excited that uh, Edwin was joining the organization and then Chase Petty's you know first one of his first phone calls after he got traded was to Jay Allen. So it seems like those three are, are pretty close with one another. And it's going to be really cool to see, you know, how that, you know, that friendship and that, and that trio climbs up the system uh, with one another because, you know, they have that relationship, you know, prior to being in the org. So you, you were talking about his, uh, his speed. Do you feel like his speed's a little, maybe a little bit more sneaky than like the 27 stolen bases on the year indicated? Yeah, he's, you know, he didn't steal as many bases after the trade. I think maybe he stole six or seven uh, in Daytona Beach. He already had 20-plus uh, by the time the trade deadline had come and went. Um, but he's got some good speed. He's not maybe the base stealer that Siani uh, and, and some of the other players in the organization can be. But he does have great speed and the kind of guy that is more likely maybe to show it on you know when he's on standing on first base after a walk and his ability to go first to home on a ball in the gap or the ability to go first to third uh on a player you know like 
some of the times we saw, especially in the last series this season against the Tampa Tarpons, where, you know, a ball gets down into the gap and you're thinking, no, that's, you know, that's a comfortable double. And it turns into a triple because of his speed and his ability um, to hustle out of the box and take those extra bases. Justin, you mentioned uh, Jay Allen as someone who kind of has shown a lot of glimpses, and he was with Daytona for a majority of the year before getting caught up to Dayton. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on what you saw from him this year? Uh, obviously moved up to another level, but uh, you talk about a guy who shouldn't stolen base ability. He certainly had that this season, especially his time in Daytona. Yeah, no, he was unbelievably fun to watch, not just on the bases, but in the outfield. And Carlos was talking about before, you know, being able to, you know, on a 3-1 count, maybe throw a pitch uh, and let someone run down and get it. Well, that's the kind of guy Jay is. That's the kind of ability he has to run down balls in either gaps. And, uh, you know, he had his ups and downs. He got off to a a marvelous start, um, slowed down a little bit, dealt with a little bit of an oblique issue that shelved him for about 17 games or so uh, in the middle of June, or more towards late June, early July. Um, uh, But one thing that I thought was very poignant and was something um, that people need to keep in mind with Jay, uh, especially with his numbers this season. This was something Eric Davis said uh, when he was uh, with us in Clearwater earlier this season. And uh, that is, this is the most baseball Jay Allen the seconds played in his life. Uh, he was a standout quarterback in high school playing football. And after football season was over, he put on his basketball shorts and was a left-handed shooter and a star guard on John Carroll Catholic's high school basketball team. And once basketball was over, he was picking up his cleats again and, you know, lacing up his glove and ready to go out and play center field on the baseball team. So he was a three-sport athlete. He played all three extremely well and kept on going from one to the next to the next. So this has been the most baseball he's played in his life. And with more baseball he plays, the more his body gets used to it. Um, I think, you know, it's just going to continue to grow and get easier and easier for him. And with his work ethic, he's also an amazing amazing person he was such a great person to work with throughout the course of the summer before he was promoted so uh, with his work ethic and when you keep those kinds of factors in mind um i think you know he's a guy that's going to continue to develop and get better as he gets older guy I definitely want to talk to you about was uh, chase petty started the year with uh, daytona uh Love the photo by the way <laughs> I, I saw that and i had to put that one in there absolutely um so tom nichols said last week and I've, we've heard this from some other folks it's kind of seems some momentum that chase petty's a lot of people's favorite pitching prospect in the organization uh he's his numbers are funny because his uh era was significantly better for daytona but like as you were talking about the pitching like the fielding independent pitching was a lot better in uh in dayton even though the era uh swapped um or the other way around sorry the other way around um what's your overall thoughts on uh on chase petty and uh, do you agree do you think he's probably you know maybe vying for that top pitching prospect in the organization? He's definitely probably one of the more underappreciated pitching prospects, probably not just in the org, maybe in baseball, um, because so much of the scouting reports on Chase coming out of high school in my home state of New Jersey was, oh, man, he's throwing triple digits. You know, he's, you know, Hunter Green territory with the fastball. And then, you know, start of the season, he's generally sitting – anywhere between 94, 97 in that area. And a lot of the messages I got were, what's up with the fastball? Is he hurt? Whatever. And I think the best way to, to frame it is after his first start, he had a couple of filthy sliders 
for strikeouts against the St. Lucie Mets team that ended up going on to win uh, the Florida State League title earlier this week. And, you know, I asked him about the sliders and the strikeouts, and he looked at me as a 19, kid who turned 19 earlier that week with, within, you know, the last couple of days, uh, certainly. And he says, you know, you know, the strike, strikeouts are great, but I'm just as excited about getting the weak contact on double play ground balls to second. And that said a lot to me about what his mindset is. He wants to be the best pitcher he can be. He doesn't want to just be able to be a guy that can blow it by you. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up sort of modeling along the lines of maybe a Graham Ashcraft in terms of being able to throw the ball very hard. He gets great heavy sinking motion uh, with his fastball. You know, he didn't have to throw a changeup at all really in high school because he was such a powerful fastball slider combination guy. And by midseason, Chris Vinyl uh, from the Daytona Beach News Journal came out, was doing a story on him. And he asked Chase, what's his favorite pitch to throw? And he said his changeup. He loves throwing his changeup now. And that's a pitch he didn't have to throw very much at all at high school and really something that's developed for him uh, over the course of the last year or so. Um, so to hear all that, he's so ahead of his years mentally as a pitcher. Um, when you counter all that into what the numbers were as well this season, uh, the double plays, the strike throwing ability, when that's such a concern for high school righties uh, being drafted that early, um, I just could not have been more impressed with his mental and you know baseball IQ as well as the raw physical talents that he obviously has. You also got a chance to walk, to uh, check out the uh, third-round draft pack to pick this year, Logan Tanner. Talk to us about him a little bit. Logan's got a lot of raw talent. Um, he was another guy that it seems to be a trend of the organization um, in which he was a pitcher uh, a bit coming out of high school. He was thrown in the mid-'90s, so he's got an incredible arm. There was one throw he made uh, during the last road trip of the year where a batter's momentum carried him in front of home plate while a runner was stealing second base. and Umpire didn't call obstruction, and Tanner just whipped its sidearm around the batter. And, you know, when you see a catcher whip a ball sidearm like that, you start thinking, oh, no, this ball is going to go into center field. And it was a BB right on the money. And the guy running the steel second base was a dead duck. So he's got an incredible arm behind the plate, has a lot of raw power offensively in his first home run of his career uh, during the last stretch of games at Jackie Robinson Ballpark this season. Um, you know, that's going to be the big thing for him at more the bat, uh, I think, than defensively. Um, I think one of the big things we sort of noticed over the course of the last couple weeks of the season, sometimes uh, his back foot can be a little uh, uh, movement happy when pitch is coming, sort of stepping in the bucket sometimes. Um, but once he sort of gets those things honed in, um, he's a guy who just has very loud, raw skills. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, not only watching Hayden Jones uh, do what he did offensively at the plate during the first three months of the season, but Logan Tanner and Kate Hunter over the course of the last uh, really homestand against Tampa, uh, they blasted some balls left and right across the diamond with, you know, well over 105 miles an hour in terms of exit velocity. So very loud, raw skills. And uh, he's another guy I'm very curious to see where uh, they'll decide to put him. At the start of next season, I could see him returning to Daytona Beach. I could see them maybe pushing him uh, to high A Dayton, but it'll be interesting to see where they decide to to push him and sort of see how he develops as well during the offseason, see if he's a guy that you know, takes what he learned 
uh, from that, you know, a couple weeks stretch and, you know, powers it into his offseason work and comes into a season, you know, even stronger. Yeah, Johnny Bench was, was speaking pretty well of him uh, right after they got he got drafted. I remember that. And it's different whenever, you know, somebody's caliber like him is asked a question about a player like him that he's followed. And normally you just, just get like a, a generic answer. Yes, we're excited to have him. But the way that he spoke about him was a little bit different. And you can tell whenever somebody great like that talks about someone, they say a little bit more. They're a little bit more genuine about it. And that's the way that he's, he spoke about him. So it kind of, kind of caught my eye a little bit. Yeah, and one of the cool things was is actually – uh, I see the question on the screen with, with Cade Hunter and Logan Tanner. Um, uh, while Cade and Logan, during Cade's first week with us, I think it was in Logan's, uh, one of his first weeks, Johnny Bench came to Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium while we were on the road. He lives in the Jupiter, Florida area. Uh, and he was at the ballpark that night, and he was in the Tortugas locker room uh, meeting the players and, and chatting up with them and, and the coaching staff, Lenny Harris, Vicky Dawkins, and all those folks. Um, and Eric Davis was also in town uh, that week, too. So. Uh, incidentally, had, you know, two of the best Reds players ever uh, in town uh, watching the Daytona Tortugas play and, uh, you know, watching the talented outfielders and particularly Kate Hunter and uh, Logan Tanner, the two catchers as well. Obviously, one of the big things is we're you know, being discussed with the CBA is a lot of the rule changes. And one of these things, particular kind of Major League Baseball, is the new pitch timer. Uh, you watched a lot of, me- of games, obviously, with the pitch clock. What was your thoughts on, you know, that and how well you believe it will translate to Major League Baseball next year? Love it, love it, love it. Um, I'm always surprised that it's so, I wouldn't say so, you know, negatively received by players. Players seem to be a little more, um, you know, hesitant about it at the Major League level because it's been a part of the minors in some form or fashion, at least at the upper level since 2015. So most of the players have dealt with it at some form or fashion during the course of their minor league careers on their way to the big leagues. Um, And all you have to do is look at the FSL this year as how big of an impact it has on the pace of play. So last year, the Florida state league, because of the different rules that were added to the league, particularly the ABS system, they decided, Oh, because of the ABS system, they don't necessarily need the pitch clock. So the pitch clock was not in the FSL and the FSL time of games were interminable. You know, the average time of game for the league was generally well over three hours. Um, you can probably pull it up like three hours, 15 minutes or so. And this year, the average time of game with the pitch clock reinstated and enforced the way it was, it dropped down about two hours and 36 minutes. Um, so it's about a 35 to 45 minute, you know, difference in terms of time of game. Um, and you're still getting you know, plenty of action. I mean, we had some games that, you know, you're like final score tonight, eight to five and two hours and 25 minutes. You know, there's offense, you know, pitchers racked up strikeouts. You know, I don't think it impacted anyone's statistical numbers uh, anyway. So I, I think the pitch clock is going to be fantastic. I think for some of the older players, it's probably going to take some getting you know, used to, I'm just very curious to see how it's enforced because the first number of years in the minors, it was very laxly enforced. Very rarely would you ever see a violation. You'd see the clock go off and nothing would happen. Um, it was just sort of more like a guideline than anything. You know, this year more than any other, you know, the umpires cracked down. And, you, know, you saw a lot of, you know, 
umpire is pointing to their wrist. That was the call saying pitch clock violation, uh, either on a hitter or a batter. Um, so it, it's going to be very curious to see how it's enforced. And that's going to, I think, probably have the biggest, uh, be the biggest indicator on whether or not it's going to sincerely impact the time of the game. I think it would have to be like severely enforced, like pretty tight right away. Because I don't think in this day and age with social media and all of a sudden, like you got, so like the Red Sox versus the Orioles and it's not getting called. And then the Yankees versus the Blue Jays is getting called. You know, this fan base is going to be chirping, chirping, chirping. Like why are there two different sets of rules? Like I think it's going to have to be pretty black and white. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's sort of what they did uh, in the minors this year. And it ended up, I think, you know, working out in the long run. I think, you know, it's going to be somewhat of a learning curve for uh, a lot of the players. There's going to be some some gripes and complaints early in the season. But, you know, by the time you get to maybe Memorial Day into the month of June, you know, it's been around for a couple of months. Guys are getting used to it now. Um, I think you'll see a lot of those complaints, at least about the pitch clock, um, will begin to dissipate. All right, so I got uh, four hitters and four pitchers. Kind of do a little bit more rapid fire, so we're not here with you all night. Uh, Austin Hendrick uh, seemed to have a little bit better of a season uh, when he got promoted. Any thoughts on him? Was it the league you think that maybe kind of slowed him down a little bit, or just you know, time? You know, I think a part of it, and you know, it was interesting when Hendrick was promoted. There were some people that were, you know, like you know, you looked at his numbers and you were, you know, didn't quite add up uh, at that point in time. But I think there's something to a change of scenery, uh, working with different coaches. Um, he had worked with, you know, Daryl Brinkley, Cookie Dawkins and our staff for a year and a half in Daytona Beach. Uh, you mentioned the park factors in Daytona and the Florida State League as well. Uh, so maybe I think just getting him in some new environments around some new voices uh, were probably some things uh, that helped him out. And the other big thing that I noticed from him from last year to this year, not that he was in bad shape last year. He was just in so much better shape this season. Um, you know, he, he just looked like a different person um, than he did the year before. Again, not to say that he was in bad shape in 2021. He was just in even better shape uh, this season. And he's another guy that, you know, he's got the raw tools. You know, it, once something clicks for him in terms of his ability to you know, better decipher which pitches to attack and which ones to lay off. Um, you know, the world's going to become sort of his oyster, I think. Hector Rodriguez guy require, acquired in the uh, Tyler Naquin trade. I understand he got hurt towards the end of the year. Do you know anything about that? And uh, Yeah, rehab, it was, rehab? Um, I don't know anything about his rehab, but I can tell you the play that happened, picked up a base hit, uh, top of the first inning of game, one of the last uh, weeks of the season during the last road trip. Um, on a double play ground ball, slid into second base, um, and something happens on that slide into second base. I don't know if it was his ankle, something with his lower body, but uh, really struggled to put weight on it. Uh, they tried helping him off the field uh, in the direction of the clubhouse in left field, and after you know a couple of minutes, they're like, you know, it, it, this isn't going to work. So they brought the cart out and helped him get back there. Hopefully, it's one of those things where. Um, you know, he'll be back in time for spring training and he'll be healthy and ready to go by the uh, the start of the full minor league season next April. Um, but he's another really, really intriguing guy. Great bat to ball skills, um, you know, sort of like uh, Wilfred Astadio's older brother, Williams, in the sense of 
you know, didn't strike out very much, didn't walk very much either, um, but really did a good job making contact, played a really nice center field as well, can run real well. Um, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a guy that's going to ever be in the top 10 prospects in the organization, but he's a guy that certainly has, you know, the skills to be a big league player and a contributor uh, at the big league level. Cade Hunter, we mentioned him a minute ago from a question from Carrick. Uh, two home runs in eight games uh, we got called up. What was your thoughts on him at the end of the season? Well, he would have had three in nine games if it wasn't for the fact that the last game of the season <laughs> got rained out in the bottom of the fourth inning. He hit a home run, and two batters later, uh, a lightning delay started. And since Tampa had quite the drive ahead of them uh, heading back home, uh, we weren't going to keep them there all night. So <laughs> he really hit three. But it didn't quite count. Um, uh, but he talked about a guy with some loud contact. Um, every time he hit the ball was incredibly hard. Um, the home runs he hit were remarkably majestic. I w- you talk about the comparisons. I think Tanner is more um, ahead of Hunter defensively. Hunter is more advanced on the offensive side of things. Um, uh, but between uh, Hunter and Tanner and the way Hayden Jones played in Daytona this year. We had Daniel Vayohin, uh for a month or so earlier this season. There were a lot of good catchers, man, that came through Daytona Beach this season. And uh, Hunter isn't ranked right now, but he he was a guy that when you watched him play, you know, you, you sort of looked around like, okay. You know, he, he catches your attention mighty quick with what he does uh, in terms of contact, not just in BP, but what we saw during games too. He's a guy that, I wouldn't be shocked if the way he performed, he might start uh, above Daytona next season. Wow. And then Blake Dunn, 15th round pick, putting up a 179 weighted runs created plus. Tell us about this guy and uh, uh, his future. I I love Blake. He's another guy who was an incredible multi-sport athlete, played four sports in high school, set multiple records in Michigan in basketball, football, track, and baseball. Um, the dude's had the worst possible luck the first two years of his career. Last season gets drafted in, uh, you know, out of Western Michigan, joins the Tortugas, hits the team's first and only grand slam of the season. A couple of days later on the turf field, he's going to field the ball off the bounce in left field. Ball comes up, was hit hard, and right off his face broke his nose and somehow came back to play a couple games in the ACL by the end of the season. This year, started the season in Daytona late, uh, had a minor injury during spring training. Training staff in Arizona commended him immensely for, you know, letting them know about it and letting something that could have been something that could have bubbled into something major get, you know, snuffed out early. Um, got off to a marvelous start in Daytona and in St. Lucie in June, trying to track down a fly ball and foul ground in right field, first base, you know, bullpen area. And he and Ruben Ibarra, who... 6'5", 285, gliding at full speed. And Blake ended up with a, a right shoulder sprain. And, you know, he went back out to Arizona for rehab. And I thought there was no way he was coming back. And sure enough, he started playing rehab games and I think reached in his first 10 plate appearances back off the injured list uh, during the course of a, a two-week road trip in Jupiter. Um when he's been healthy, he has looked really, really impressive. A great athlete, uh, probably better suited for the corner outfielder, corner outfield spots than center. Um, but has shown great, 
you know, patience at the plate, very good command of the strike zone, ability to hit the ball for extra bases, some sneaky pop for a guy who's not uh, physically overpowering. Um, but he's been one of my favorite guys to watch. He's fearless with that football and, you know, his athletic pedigree. Um, and I'm, I hope he stays healthy next year because I think if he can, um, he's a guy that's going to be, you know, another really fun under-the-radar prospect to watch in the York. All right, let's get to some uh, uh, pitching. Uh, Javi Rivera um, had a really good year this year. Um, high strikeouts. I believe he he has really high velocity. Was he a guy that touched in the high 90s? He's a guy who can get up there 94, 95, you know, sneak it up to 96, um, you know, with the different people starting with Brian Conger, the, the pitching coordinator, uh, top to bottom in the organization. I've worked with guys with velocity and helped increase their velocity. Uh, over the last couple of years. So it wouldn't surprise me as Javi continues to physically mature. Um, you know, pitching is relatively new to him. One of my favorite stories uh, was Javi this season. I remember interviewing him early in the year and, you know, asked him about the conversion. He was played third base a lot in high school in Orlando and went to Indian River State College in Florida. And they said, you know, we want to make you a pitcher full time. And he wasn't amenable to it at first. And someone finally got into his ear and said, hey, look, this could be your ticket. This could be your best shot at being a pro ball player. And once he heard that, you know, he was like, okay, you know, now I'm listening. And he's really taken to the craft, and he was phenomenal. Um, For a pitcher that's so new to the craft full time, his ability to throw strikes, I mean, he would dominate the strike zone. And I felt like some of the times the reason why his ERA was even as high as it was was because he threw so many strikes. You know, sometimes a pitch catches too much of the plate and gets hit for extra bases. Um, but that was an unbelievable find by the Red scouting staff in the 20th round last year um, to see what he did in Daytona and then uh, to see the success he had, uh, you know, in Dayton as well. Um, he, he was a lot of fun to watch, and I'm really excited to see what he can do uh, next season, how he builds off of this year. Great, you know, sneaky good fastball, and he, he's got a hammer breaking ball to, to work in there as well. Uh, Bryce Hubbard, uh, Red's third-round pick. You got to see him a little bit at the end of last year. What was your thoughts on him? Hubbard's, Hubbard's another really interesting guy. He's not very overpowering with a fastball at all. Um, probably, you know, upper 80s, more 87, 89, touching uh, 90 and 91. Um, got off to a little bit of a slower start in his first couple outings with command, but his last time out against Tampa, uh, starting the last series of the year, he mowed them down. Um, you know, has a really nice changeup. Knows, you know, he's very smart and very good baseball IQ on the mound, being able to mix and match, um, change locations and things like that in and outside of the zone. Um, so he's going to be really fun to watch and see. Um, you know, where he continues to grow next season. Another guy that, you know, maybe, you know, gets bumped up a level um, because he was a third-round pick out of an ACC school. Um, but overall, he, he was fun to watch. I wish I got a chance to see more of him uh, at the end of this season. Um, but he's he's got a lot of, you know, really interesting intangibles uh, from the left-hand side. Hold on a question. Nick, is that right? He's the only No, no, there's a, there's a mistake on there. I'm like – Wait, what? I've never heard of this guy. How is he the number two ranked prospect? No. 
third round pick, third round pick. Hey, that, hey, that was that was the Ellie De La Cruz story last season. That's <laughs> uh, I know, but as soon as I'm, you said I'm manifesting you know, it. Oh, yeah, no, as soon as you said he's like 86, 80, 80 now, I'm like, yeah, there's like, no way. That's right. There's no way. He might be nice, but I throw it 87, 89. You're not the number two ranked prospect. Uh Andrew Moore, a uh, guy acquired in the uh, Luis Castillo trade. Uh, insane strikeout numbers. Not too great walk numbers. Saw him a little bit at the end of the year. Yeah, no, the the, the walks were definitely the biggest issue for Andrew during the last course of the season. And, you know, uh, you know the same things we talked about with Edwin Arroyo after the trade, you can really apply to, to Andrew as well. It was right around his birthday. And the, other, the big thing with both of them is not only – you know, are you moving across the country during the season? Both of them were going from, you know, being across the country away from family to now being closer to home. You know, Edwin Arroyo from Puerto Rico went to high school uh, during his senior year in Kissimmee. Had a lot of family and, you know, friends that were able to come out and see him. And Andrew was from Georgia. His family came down, was able to see him for his birthday. So there's another added level of pressure when you're not only changing organizations, but, you know, you're, you're performing in front of your friends and family. Uh, a lot more now as a professional than you had been. Um, so I- I'm really in- curious to see what happens with him uh, at the start of next season. I'm sure he'll start the year at high A Dayton in their bullpen, but he's got a lot of great loud raw tools like some of the other guys, great fastball, uh, you know, very lively, has great movement with his breaking pitches, but it's going to be a matter for him as, you know, harnessing that command once he does, um, you know, he has a chance to be a really exciting back end of the bullpen kind of arm. All right, and the last pitcher, uh, Jose Acuna, uh, another, the other guy acquired for uh, Tyler Naquin, had a really, really good year this year, had a couple really dominant starts, I believe, for for uh, Daytona. Uh, talk about him real quick. Yeah, no, he was uh, the penultimate Florida State League uh, pitcher of the week uh, after being uh, traded over for the Mets organization. And got to give a lot of credit to Nick Crawl for being able to procure guys like Hector Rodriguez and Jose Acuna, you know, lower-level minor league guys, unranked prospects at the time, but uh, for what they were able to accomplish in a short period of time in the organization, was so impressive. Acuna and other guys, not overpowering. He's more in the 91 to 93-mile-per-hour range. Another guy that, you know, could conceivably maybe add a couple of ticks as he continues to physically mature. Uh, was only 19 years old. Isn't going to turn 20 until October. Uh, so next year is only going to be his age 20 season. Um, and for his, you know, he's another guy, a lot of the talk is about his command and his ability to, to throw strikes, but you could start to see that a little bit more often, uh, towards the end of the season. So, um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, caught a lot of people's attentions with his ability to, to mix and match in and outside of the zone, up and down, change locations, change speeds. Um, and all, all I can say is I remember one day watching his, one of his first bullpens in Daytona beach after the trade after he made his first two appearances in St. Lucie and watching Lenny Harris uh, sit and watch him basically going, you know, that dude can throw. <laughs> so he, he has Lenny Harris's seal of approval. And uh, he's got Lenny's seal of approval. He has mine. He was fun to watch. Fantastic. Uh, next season, uh, I got a list of some guys maybe end up at, at, at Daytona. I'm certainly not a future teller, but these are just guys that, you know, kind of you could see. How excited are you about when you get to see Cam Collier uh, and, and some of these other guys? Anyone else that stands out to you that, that you're hoping to, to see shortly? Um, I mean, obviously, Cam Collier, you're 
so tantalized by, I mean, I, I mean, I remember reading mock draft stuff, you know, top five pick, top five pick, top five pick, watching the draft after coming home from a road trip or whatever it was, watching the draft that day and saying, oh, the Reds are on, are up next. Wait, Cam Collier's on the board? <laughs> and, of course, he just knew at that time that he was going to be the pick. And uh, I'm so excited to see what he can do. Talk to some folks that saw him in the Cape League this past summer. was uh, the youngest player, I think, in Cape League history playing for Katuit. Um, you know, he's just so uh, ahead of his, you know, years in terms of maturity, in terms of baseball IQ and understanding the game and understanding what it takes to be a, a hitter and a defensive player. So I, I'm so excited to see what he can potentially bring to Daytona Beach next year. Sal Stewart, you know, and I heard so many amazing things about Carlos Jorge. Um, so, you know, excited to see what he will be able to do in Daytona's infield. Ariel Almonte, and another guy that's, you know, really interesting to me that, you know, sort of robbed of what his potential could have been this year is Yerlene Confidant. Uh, he got off to a fantastic start in Daytona, dealt with a quad issue, was on the IL for a couple of months, came back towards the end of the season, never quite, you know, found that same rhythm, which is understandable. He's a young player. Um, uh, but I- I'm really excited to see what he can do uh, in a full minor league season because. You know, the taste you saw of him back in April and May um, was very tantalizing. So, Justin, before we get you out of here, we did get one more question from the chat, and this is from our good friend Carrick. Any chance that Daytona games will be on MILB TV next season since this team should be loaded? Um, uh, In a perfect world, I think that would be the case. Um, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one, unfortunately. Um, we will have all our games, and one of the things that um, I will say that uh, we're very lucky to have, even though we don't have MILB TV, we do have some really great um, AV staff members, some videographers that are out there every night uh, that are part of our video board crew, and we try our best to to shovel out as many highlights as humanly possible uh, post game, uh, the day after, where whatever it may be. Um, so even if we don't have the, the live MILB TV coverage. Uh, for you next season from Jackie Robinson Ballpark. You can be rest assured you will you will get your fair share of, of Cam Collier highlights and Sal Stewart highlights and Bryce Hubbard and uh, any other uh, prospect that catches your imagination uh, in 2023 and beyond. Maybe a Twitch account would be a good idea. Can we make that happen? Uh, I don't know what the that might require some uh, some conversations with minor league baseball. My guess is that's probably not going to be. Uh, be be kosher because of uh different uh partnerships and things like that but uh you know what it's not a bad idea for something uh for them to potentially pursue in the future you know you've seen some of these uh milb on mlb tv games maybe an milb game uh you know uh, on on twitch or something like that it's not a bad idea tim it's not a bad idea at all they could hire me uh my my options are open (laughs) So we'll have, to, uh, we'll have to make sure if they take that idea and run with it, that you get the necessary residuals. I, I agree. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for that. Well, man, you were awesome and you gave us a lot of really good insights. We definitely appreciate the uh, 45, 50 minutes you spent with us. Uh, but before we get out of here, if you want to please take a second where our fan base Reds fans can keep an eye on uh, Justin rock with his social medias, uh, please feel free to take him over to shout out your accounts. We definitely floors yours. Well, you can always follow the Daytona Tortugas at Daytona Tortugas on uh, 
Twitter and Instagram, Daytona Tortugas Professional Baseball. On Facebook, you can always find me on Twitter at Justin Rock, R-O-C-K-E. Um, I am not related to Chris or the, although sometimes I pretend to be. Um, you can find me there. It's Justin at Rock on uh, Instagram, same R-O-C-K-E uh, with the last name there. And uh, yeah, no, thank you guys uh, so much for having me. It's uh, it been a pleasure and uh, glad to, to do it uh, not only uh, after a Reds victory, but uh, you mentioned the Bengals line against the Jets coming up uh, this weekend. I did grow up a Jets fan uh, here in New York, unfortunately. Um, and after uh, the Jets won last week and the Bengals 0-2, uh, unofficial betting advice, I would take the Bengals with the points. <laughs> <laughs> after well, after last year, I think Joey B is a little a little ticked off, and I think every Jet fan is uh, getting ourselves mentally prepared for 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 Sunday. Certainly not expecting a repeat of Sunday against the Browns. Well, awesome. I, I hope you're right for our sake. <laughs> uh, but awesome. Thank you so much, Justin. Also, Justin's hat is a Daytona Tortugas on field. And I just want to say that no other uh, organization has better hats than the Reds minor league system. Dayton, Daytona, Chattanooga, and Louisville. Even when Louisville does the mashers, everyone has a great hat. I, I love all the different things Louisville has done over the years. Chattanooga is phenomenal, especially with uh, the black caps with just the eyes and everything on it. Their New Jersey's the last number of years have been great. And obviously the folks in Dayton are top notch. So uh, we're very lucky to to be a part of that family. And we got to, you know, double A and triple A with the, the red tints and, We've got uh, the single A affiliates with the green tint, so it, it all it all works out. Absolutely, I'll be definitely buying one off the team site probably pretty soon. So, thanks again, Justin. Uh, we'll we got to do this again soon, man. Absolutely, my I'm open to it anytime, my friend. I'm always open. Thanks, Perfect. Justin. Thanks, Justin. My pleasure, thanks, guys. Justin. Have a good one. That was really good. Uh, really good insight. And yeah, but like the whole time we're having the conversation, I'm like, that is such a cool freaking hat. I'm like, I just could not get away from how cool that fit was. I think that's what I'm going to do next year is get a couple of the minor league ones. Definitely going to get a Chattanooga one. And then I was thinking about maybe getting the Dayton one. Carl is uh, prospect guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's more about places where I used to live, you know, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. How many minor league teams would you, if you like bought all the hats for the minor league teams you played for, how many would you end up with? I mean, I could count them pretty quick. It was uh, Billings. Oh, that's so cool. Each, each each has like three, so it's, you got Billings, Dayton, Sarasota, Chattanooga. I forgot about Sarasota. Portland, San Antonio, and that's it. And then Lincoln Salt Dogs, which was independently. Okay, cool. We should just That'd have all the hats cool. like on a shelf. Behind. Yeah. That'd be neat, actually. That'd be a really cool display. Let's get on it. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Well, before we get more into hat conversations, we'll talk real quick about <laughs> today's game where the Cincinnati Reds were victorious against the Boston Red Sox. The first win at GABP over the Sox since 2008. Uh, Stuart Fairchild, and now it's a five-game hit streak. Uh, Carlos and I can confirm Stuart's mom is a fan of the program. We talked to her all about the podcast in July. So Very nice lady. Very nice lady. She's friends of the program now. Uh, so we hope that you're very much enjoying this five-game hit streak. Uh, Jonathan India with another big game, two for four, two RBI. Uh, Chase Anderson with five innings uh, and getting four strikeouts. And most importantly, in Carlos's eyes, uh, beating Tommy Pham 
uh, I know is we're really just bonus points. Yeah. So, and he, and he was the uh, 100th hit batter of the season. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. So, also, just remember, folks, while you're down on this team for being 59 and 90, just remember, at least they're not the Pirates. Hey, only four wins away from uh, avoiding 100 losses. Hey, Joey Votto, big Pirates fan. Yeah, <laughs> that broke my heart. Did not like that. One out of ten, do not recommend. <laughs> One being Joey was has a really nice beard that probably took him two days to grow compared to this is thirty three years. Have the Pirates ever signed a contract half that big? No, third that big. <laughs> I th- I mean Andrew McCutcheon maybe. He must have Joey must have got worn out. So whatever they did the little ceremony before, I was like getting my phone so I could take a picture and send it to Tim. You know, and I'm like looking at David Bell, like kind of under his breath saying some stuff, and it almost looked like he said something, made a comment about the jersey that he was wearing, and Joey like bit his lip, like oh okay, and and then then he's walking around in a Larkin jersey after that. Must have got some flack for that. <laughs> Brian Hayes, seventy million was the largest Pirates contract of all time. So, huh? Yeah, really? just, just a little bit more, just a bit, <laughs> just a bit. Oh man, that's hilarious. Ah, uh, f those guys. Let's talk about Hunter Green. How about that return of Hunter Green? Forty-seven pitches of hundred plus miles per hour, six innings, eleven strikeouts, no walks. Does give up four hits, but. You know, what we've seen from Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green in these last couple starts as they're kind of getting back and Grant Ashcraft coming back this weekend as well. Uh, very positive, very good to see. But, man, he was electric. It was awesome. Man, I just – I just every time I see him have success like that, I'm just – I can't wait to see him pitch in a meaningful game in October. No, Because he's going to throw 104 miles an hour. <laughs> You're yeah. right, dude. Yeah. Yeah, man, he was just for his first start back, first start in like over a month. I mean, just to come out and and uh, and dominate against a good lineup. This wasn't yeah. This wasn't the Pirates. This was the the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, who in the second half of the season have been crushing the ball. Um, two MVP candidates in that lineup, and you know, just to completely dominate the more six innings and not not walk a guy on the road at St. in St. Louis. Just uh, man. Yeah, what a what a what a performance and uh yeah, I, I thought Nick Lodolo was the opening day starter. I still think Nick Lodolo should be the opening day starter, but now I'm like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe. It's it's like with Hunter, he's he's trying to work on stuff clearly throughout the year. He's trying to work on stuff. But every now and then he's like, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna go out there and do what I can do and just dominate. It's pretty cool. And then and then he's going to go back to working on stuff, get hit around, walk some people. But he's like, I got to let him know. Well, three, of his, the people three know. of his best starts this year were against the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals. I mean, these, you know, so maybe he just kind of has that, like, I don't know, big game. Maybe, I don't know, maybe just random, but. It's definitely a thing. Yeah. It cannot be measured, but it's a thing. I like it. Yeah, because I saw him pitch against the Marlins 
they lost like two to one that night, but he threw seven innings and he was really good. Um, so, you know, maybe it's just getting more consistent. And, uh, but yeah, I think Carlos is right. I think there's something about like, okay, I'm facing Paul Goldschmidt tonight. I'm going to bring it. And that's, that's cool. I dig it. So who was that for you, Carlos? Was it like when you were in the minors, who was like the guy you saw, you were like getting this guy. Uh, I don't think there was really a guy that that I knew that I wanted to go out and like get out or anything like that. Like even somebody that I didn't like, I really could care less. It was more about like the guys that I just hope they didn't get on base because they were so annoying, like stealing and leading off and drag bunts. Like those guys in the minor leagues were the worst. I would much rather face like um. Prince Fielder or Ryan Braun, like those guys. Had a, the guys that try to just screw with you the whole time while you're trying to work is so annoying. So, okay, I see. I know what you're talking about because there was a guy on that team of the Brewers that was like that, who he hit really well against the Reds and against everyone else he was awful, but he was like a, a base stealing kind of guy. I said he would get on base as leadoff guy all the time, but now for the life of me, Ricky Weeks, Ricky Weeks. You would you'd rather face a Ryan Braun than a Ricky Weeks? Bill Hall. Yeah. Two. Well, Ricky, Ricky Weeks in the minor leagues was hitting the ball real hard. I had to go Ricky Weeks, uh, Ryan Braun, and then Prince Fielder. Ooh. In Huntsville. What? <laughs> a little dry air out there. The ball probably uh, did his dancing. Oof. These guys were nasty. So... I guess uh, this is a annual slide now for the future of late night Reds talk. As long as he's a member of the roster, uh, Dick Senzel breaks his toe. will miss the remainder of the season, which look, I'm going to be hundred percent honest. I did not, was not able to watch this game last night. Did he like fall and hold his elbow? Um, I don't know. Nick's tweet or text of the month group was hilarious, which I won't say, but <laughs> I was like, as soon as they hit the ball to him and he's kind of like run, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. What's going to happen? <laughs> Every time. It, I mean, I feel it, bad for the like guy. I hope nothing but the best for him, but uncle, let's go. Yeah. Next. Nick, Nick Senzel and Tyler Eifert are the biggest what ifs maybe in Cincinnati sports history now. Yeah, it's just, I don't, I don't know, man. And he's been bad too. <laughs> It's yeah, not, yeah. It's not the injury thing that I'm writing them off on. It's yeah, playing is that I'm writing six, them so, off on. Yeah, I'm so two OPS, two ninety six on base. I really hate the term bust. Just I look. really hate it. But I think he gets traded this off season. I mean, I, I I'm starting to feel like that's probably what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to get non tender because I still think he's cheap yeah. enough that someone wants to give him a chance for that. So like the Reds could probably get something for him. Probably not much at this point. What can you get if you trade everybody in, the, in that photo right there, including the trainer? <laughs> well, TJ Friedel's a starting it, yeah. next year. So I, know. I don't think you I know, well. guys. Could we get a starting big leaguer for those three outfielders and David Bell? <laughs> Stay away from David. I like David. He's cool. Yeah. Shout out to Masvera. I don't know, dude. Should I like 
should I like admit that I was wrong about Alejo Lopez with how he's hit the ball since he's been up consistently? Like, what was I wrong? Like, or is that just a fluke flash in the pan kind of thing? Maybe he's part of the team next year and takes that spot. There can only be so many foray players on one team. <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna have to start. Can this guy be a that? Can he make the team? Could he be a platoon player? Could he? We're at like 76 now. So let's pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> Lopez doesn't play a premium position either. I mean, like TJ Friedel can play center field. You know, like yeah. that's that's different than a guy that can play third base and second base. Yeah, he's going to be a guy who's going to be a good guy to have, and you're going to waste all his options, and then we'll see you. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Sorry. Yeah, My t- opinion. TJ Friedel, I mean, I think – TJ Friel has a legit chance to be the Reds' starting center fielder next year. I think they they should give him the chance. I'd rather they go out and sign a left fielder and maybe like a third baseman or a second baseman um, and and just see what you got out of TJ Friedel, see what you got out of Jake Fraley in, in right field. Um, I don't know, man. Nixon Zell, he's like fifth on the outfield depth chart right now for me. If the season was starting next year, I'd probably send him to AAA to start the year. Hey, the first three options are open, Betty. One, two, and three. There's nobody there. I don't know. I heard Tommy Pham's a free agent. Shut up. Bring him <laughs> back. Bring him back. Sorry, Carlos. I had to do it. I do love you, though. Uh, but, hey, Michael Ciotti gets the call. You talk about <laughs> 4A players, Carlos. I know you uh, are a big fan of that. But eight triples and 52 still in bases. And a guy that we get a ton of comments on. Anytime we talk about outfield prospects in the chat. So um, here's his chance. I'm kidding. You know, this is at just le- nice. At least he does something, two things really well, which I can't say about some other players. Like, See Billy like, Hamilton with pop? He, he's, he's an elite defender and he can steal bases. And I, I guess he has a little bit of pop. It just, you know, not really good bat to ball skills, 250 at double A, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess if, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how good his defense is at, at, at this level. I'm interested to see how he's Willie Mays, according to our chat every week. <laughs> okay, chill. <laughs> um, I mean, he's a fun player. I, I've enjoyed watching him. I just, I don't, I don't know how, how good of a hitter. I mean, he seems like a guy who's probably going to like struggle to hit 200 in the big leagues, you know, based on like the numbers that he has, but. And I just I don't know how valuable a, a mostly va- mostly defensive center fielder is at Great American Ballpark. That's kind of I think this guy could probably be a lot, you know, like put him in uh, Miami. You know, yeah, he might be a really you know nice player, you know, playing center field in a big stadium. But I just I don't know. I'm glad they called him up. I'm, I'm glad they're giving him a chance. I mean, this is the year. This is the opportunity to to give this guy some playing time and see what he's got. I just, you know, I'd love to love if he's Kevin Kiermeyer saw that that comp today. Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, if he's Kevin Kiermeyer, then yeah. the Reds luck, have struck gold. Hope it goes well. Yeah, but that's. Sheesh. I mean, he's the what seventy eighth guy to get called up this year. Pretty close. He's. Better than a lot of them. Yeah, that's that's also he, true. He's not the worst. Is he? 
Yeah, I don't want to start. I don't want to start bringing up names. <laughs> yeah, we, let's not go down I'm that sure list. We, I'm yeah. sure we could find. But that's some. the whole point. It's like come that's on. a three-hour podcast. Let's relax. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Noel V. Marte real quick. We discussed him guys a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah, guys who are not who are good at baseball. Uh, he'll be playing in the World Baseball Classic. Nick, I know you said you uh, caught some of this earlier last week. He will not be playing in the World Baseball Classic. Spain got eliminated today. Oh. Um, <laughs> That this was the uh, qualifying rounds, um, and and Spain went to the very very last game and uh, missed out today. But Marte played really well. Um, uh, had five hits, I think, on Saturday. Um, he was like the the top player for Spain. You know, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, the announcers were were hyping him up, and um, you just tell like his presence, like he was the the star on the Spain team. So that was pretty cool. Um, um, to see him and uh, he just man he um he makes contact it's 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 special so it was cool to get to see him you know get to play on a big stage cross kind of interested your thoughts on the world baseball classic in general you know what it would be like for a guy like Marte to you know play for his country and kind of be the the top dog on that team too um I think it's a pretty it's a pretty big deal, and I think the uh, the players, every professional player, no matter what the level is, takes it very seriously. Um, the the whole timing of it, and the fact that it's like you know during spring training is, is kind of rough, kind of hard on the guys, you know, to get a true feeling of maybe who's the best team. But I mean, for young guys like Novel Marte, it's it's awesome, it's amazing, because he gets a chance to be the guy on. Pretty much, it's going to be the biggest stage of baseball that there is at that time. Um, it's going to be playing against big leaguers, and he's going to get that exposure. Everything, every new thing that you can experience that it's going to help you out in the big leagues is is worth it. And this is what this is. You're going to have cameras. You're going to have press. You're going to be held accountable. That's all positive stuff. That's not stuff that you get in, in low A, double A, and, and stuff like that. So this is nothing but good. I think I heard on the broadcast there was like sixteen thousand people at this qualifying game today. It's pretty cool. So yeah, it's pretty. I guess it's you know, played in the minors all year. This is kind of like a, a nice way to kind of end your season. And I know he's supposed to still go to the fall league too. So yeah, um, but yeah, I remember cool. one year it was the Chinese Taipei were in it, and I remember just like loving because like the only thing I'd really ever seen of like Japanese or Chinese baseball was Mister Baseball, which is totally just inaccurate but like when it's like the team is in the field the crowd's really quiet no one's like talking there's no stupid wave in the in the crowd and then like when they're on the when they're at the, at the plate they're like all hooting and hollering and cheering and stuff I was like it's this is pretty cool i like this should we talk about some playoff races yeah like there's like one race <laughs> i was gonna say kind of all left? i mean it's really just like the brewers are fighting with the Phillies and uh, maybe the Padres if, if they fall. But Roger yeah, eliminate the Brewers this week. Cleveland's pretty well wrapped up the, the AL Central. So how about our man, Miguel Cairo, former Red, killing it as the interim manager of the White Sox? Yeah, they played better, but they're still going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, they're still going to miss the playoffs. But I don't know. Actually, Carlos, this is totally off topic, but just – you know, there was a certain guy who was their manager when they were really struggling through the year, 
and now Miguel Cairo comes in and people seem to really like playing for him. That that that's got to say speak val- volumes to the to a certain scenario, right? Absolutely, buddy. It's a totally different feeling. There's, I haven't had it happen too many times. Um, pretty lucky to play for some good managers and, and coaches and all different sports. But if you've got a bad one and all of a sudden you bring a good one in, it's just you enjoy going to work. It makes a, it makes a big difference. It really does. Yeah, and especially in the middle of the season, it 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 really is like a morale booster. Like it's like a kickstart to something. Especially when you have someone like Tony Larusa. Yeah. Ugh. He stinks. Not a fan. Yeah. I uh yeah, like you said, Nick though, I do like, you know, Cleveland's got it wrapped up. We talked about this last week, the teams we were kinda rooting for in the postseason. I mentioned Cleveland and Seattle would be teams that I'm keeping my eye on. We know Carlos obviously got his eye for San Diego, so I think all the AL wildcard teams are kind of fun. They are, aren't they? It's like it stinks. Like all these teams are gonna like eliminate each other and then be left. I, I gotta, I gotta kind of, I gotta kind of admit it. it. Goes kind of into the next slide. I just, I really like Aaron Judge. I, I know like, this Yankees team kind of likable, and I don't like I that. I don't like that they're kind of likable. The team I is likable, or Aaron like Judge is likable. Well, Aaron Judge is the team, so in, yeah, in, the roster is likable. But the oh. uniform is not. You know what I mean? It's like it's like the Celtics. Like if the Celtics wore any other jersey this last year, I would have liked them. But because I they're the Boston disagree, Celtics, guys. Yeah. Here's my lesson. Let me tell you how it goes. It goes <laughs> Reggie Tupac. I'm just kidding. But like it's got Josh Donaldson. Uh, no, thank you. Garrett Cole. Oh, I'm not even gonna say the words on this interweb. Sticky stuff. Giancarlo, who stole an MVP. <laughs> 59 home runs. Whatever, Nick. Kirby hates Votto. I would I would have voted for Kirby Votto. hates Votto. God <laughs> almighty. Even on live TV, you hate hashtag hate Well, Votto. he's a pirate now. I mean. <laughs> no, I, I do like him, but he's probably about the only one. Have you guys? Have you guys been locked Nestor's into? Annoying. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, I try I, the last two. I've missed. Like I, I've co- I've been like watching every at bat, making sure I have it on. <laughs> the last two are like the only two at bats I've missed of of the last two games. So yeah, I saw two abs today. But other than that, like whenever I saw the first one today, I was like, this is so weird. How it's not like on the bottom corner of every get live game or like there's no there's nothing to it like. I was out to McGuire dinner. McGuire and Sosa, I guess maybe because there was two of them, but. Yeah, like I was I mean, out to dinner earlier. It's not, uh, it doesn't feel like it's a big deal. It's a shame, yeah. Yeah, because I was out to dinner. There was an MLS game on ESPN, and they cut away from the MLS game to show Aaron Judge as a bat. And I was like, oh, cool. It, like you said, it feels like when oh, Bonds cool. was chasing the record. Like, I had that same feeling. That's cool. I didn't know, I didn't know they were doing that on ESPN. That was, I was about to say, like, that's they should be doing that. Like, like yeah. Best part about like last night's game when Stanton hits that grand slam was it was against the Pirates. Tim hates Votto. No. How do I surround myself with you guys? (laughs) It's my buddy. Y'all are talking about. I have no hate for Joseph Daniel Votto. Never have, never will. 
So notice how Kirby remains silent. Yeah. Yes. I've lifelong Votto hater. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. All right. Let's look at the upcoming schedules. The Reds get ready to eliminate the Brewers from the playoffs and say no wild card for you in this upcoming four game set. Uh, you'll see the outstanding matchup tomorrow where Mike Miner faces Brandon Woodruff. You get Hunter Green, Eric Lauer, Graham Ashcraft coming back on Saturday for Corbin Burns. And Sunday, Luis Sessa against Aaron Ashby, who Luis Sessa looked really good Sunday. I thought he looked really good in that Cardinals game. Um, and then you got, yeah, you got the, the Pirates next week. You get Nick Lodolo, Mike Miner, and Hunter Green in that series. And then you go to Chicago and start the weird final six games against the Cubs. So uh, that's going to be unique. Chase Anderson, where's he going to end up back in this rotation after after that start tonight? Is there somebody else they can call up for instead of giving these starts to Mike Miner? Like reward a guy? I don't know. I I'm I'm curious if if they're going to shut down Lodolo at some point here. Like Pittsburgh might be his last start. Yeah, I I I don't think he's going to make it to the end of the year. I mean, the other how many innings is he at? I think he was at. 87 one or something he's way over i mean but he's you know obviously i don't i don't know how many pitched in college though i mean i guess that's he's at 92 one it's gotta be more than that in college 92 over 100 92 one last year he only threw 450.2 so that's why i'm thinking he's i bet you they i bet you they finish him maybe they do a lower pitch count but yeah, I don't know why you would want a baby another year, because the next year you're going to be like, oh, he hasn't thrown more than 102. He threw 103 in. He threw 103 in 2019 for TCU, and then 18.1 uh, for the Reds. So he was up to over 120. But then yeah. you had the so the 2020 year was weird. I don't who knows how many innings he threw that year and how ramped up that was. And then last year he was hurt a bunch. So I don't know. I'm just saying, I think it's a possibility, I guess, maybe more than that. that but I, I mean, he had quite a, what do you have a month off the middle of the season? Yeah. So he started late. Then he had like a yeah. month off. Yeah. <laughs> last year he had several months off. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know shit, but it was up to me. I'd, I'd maybe bring the pitch limit down, but I'm throwing them out there for, you know, 80 pitches at least. The seven, rest of the way. seven man rotation. Screw it. Why not? Who cares? <laughs> it's true. I like it. Huh. All right. So, like we said earlier, the schedule shown up here uh, with Milwaukee for four, Pittsburgh for three, and then the Cubs for six. So, we're getting towards the end. It's almost here. Miss them when I they're hope, gone. I hope they sweep those Cubs at the end of the year. Six That'd be games. amazing. Final six games. Just go six and zero against the Cubs, and then swear Joey out until like April. Our buddy Joey got shout out. <laughs> those well, games are going to be for draft picks. I don't know if you want to say sweep. right now, the Reds are. I don't two know if you want to sweep of... the Cubs. <laughs> I don't give a. Well, I do. The Reds are two games behind the Tigers for the fourth for fourth right now. You want to finish in the bottom three. Yeah. So they're about. Kirby hates winning. Son of a. 
they're four games out of thir- the top three because of the stinkhole pirates. There's still time. There's still time. Yeah, you got three of the pirates. Come- Wouldn't that be awesome? Just try to watch all those teams. Just try to lose those games next week. Just both of them are just like throw like the worst guys possible out there. Let's do it. Yeah, that's why my miners still in the rotation. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Eat those innings, baby. All four of them. <laughs> He's been going five. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Carlos. All right. With that being said, we're going to go and wrap this up for this gets even more out of control. Uh, thanks to Justin Rock for hanging out with us today. That uh, was a lot of fun getting out of his insight. Please, 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 please. Like we keep saying, if you are still listening to us or watching us along, thanks for tuning in, by the way. Uh, take a second to subscribe to the YouTube channel. That way you'll get all the updates, especially with our special episodes. I'm sure we'll have some fun stuff to put up this off season. Uh, please take a moment on your podcast subscri- uh, subscription app of choice. Give us a nice solid five-star review. Uh, that goes a long way to help us beat the algorithm. And if you want to support the team, go to latenightreds.merchmake.com. Get some t-shirts, some hoodies, some sweatshirts, you name it, we got it. And as always, we are brought to you by Bet Online, where you can go to Bet Online and sign up with your 50% welcome bonus using the code BELIEVE50 to bet on the Bengals to hopefully, finally, somehow come back to normal. Come on, Joey, we can do this. Everyone, on behalf of Nick, Carlos, and Justin, thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night. And we'll see you next week. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.